0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Mark 14, 12-26. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Will you have us go? When it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, One after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And and he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. Praise
1: be to Christ. Thank you, Abby, for reading that scripture. Uh, the Hubens family just dear to our congregation, our family that's been tuning in via livestream regularly and have been a part of uh, the mix of what we're doing here. So I'm fully confident, Abby, that you're watching right now. Hey, thank you for reading that passage so beautifully. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm trying to recover from Melanie's prayer. It just about wrecked me. Well, it did, and then I had a minute, and then I tried to tell my wife that it wrecked me, and it kind of wrecked me again. And so I'm pulling it together. My family uh, went to um, St. Simon's Island this past week. And have any of you ever been to St. Simon's Island? You know where this is? It's kind of on the uh, Georgia coastline, couple, about an hour or so south of Savannah. In, in 2019, uh, there was a big ship, carrying 4,200 cars uh, and as it was leaving the port there in St. Simons Island, it, it capsized and it's still there, uh, It like it, one of those big, like out of that movie Castaway kind of tanker, a big container, it's not a container ship but it was like full of cars uh, inside and so they're having to cut the thing up into pieces and, and, and carry it away in barges. Uh, they had to build like a big crane around it that, you know, to just be able to even do that. Um, but what happened was the, uh, the, the, sh- the ship's captain had done this route thousands of times and the, they have these, um, the, these captains that, that basically they focus on bringing ships in from uh, the shore into port and, that's, and they just do this over and over again all day long, every day. And uh, so this guy had done this thousands of times. And, and what happened was the, they, they went to make a turn, a turn that they always make, and the cargo inside the ship, all of the cars shifted. And, and it began to list. And the captain said over the radio, we're losing her. Like he knew that this thing was, nobody, nobody perished in this crash, but it's still there. And I think about that that experience that he must have had, uh, where here's here's a person who has kind of been going through life, sort of locked in on, on what he does. Nobody knows that harbor better, nobody knows that port better than this person. But then something happens in the in the an intangible happens, and, and something a variable happens, and the whole thing just Lists and capsizes, and there's momentum, and it just wrecks it. And I think about that because I think for a lot of us, we, we go through life wondering how close we are to that happening to us. Um, to, 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 and, and, or maybe we've experienced something where we feel that it happened. It happened and I'm, I'm ruined. Today's passage that we're going to look at is for people who wonder if that is going to happen to them or for people who that has happened to them because here's the reality. This passage that we're going to talk about, which is from the upper room in, in the Last Supper, is a, it involves people who had catastrophic failure happen. Uh, Some of whom it ended terribly, but for most of them, it ended in redemption, and yet it's the stuff we're made of. This kind of thing happens to us. And so this is a passage that tells us if you're going through life relying on your own strength and experience alone to be what saves you, you're in for a crash, but Jesus is strong, and Jesus is clear in what it is that he's about to deliver and to redeem and to rescue. So let's get into the passage. Um, I have a little preamble. Uh, some We're going to talk some doctrine uh, here at the beginning. Really, there's kind of two things we're going to do. There's a doctrine and then a story, um, but this focuses on, this passage focuses on Uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper, which is a sacrament. And so I want to use this time to just talk very briefly about what a sacrament is. As a church, uh, we observe two sacraments. Most Protestant churches, there's two sacraments that we observe, baptism and the Lord's Supper. This word, sacrament, uh, basically what it means is a sacred mystery. Uh, And it's kind of like, the word sacrament is a little bit like the word Trinity, in that it doesn't ever appear in the Bible, And yet, it is used to define a concept that is there uh, in Scripture. And even though the term was coined later, sacrament, the the acts of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, um, are actually things that originated with Jesus himself. And so there are kind of three key marks of a sacrament. Uh, The first is that Christ himself instituted it. So it's something that Jesus told the church to do, right? So Christ instituted it. The second mark is that Jesus commanded his followers to observe these things together. Uh, And so we observe them together and publicly because they're professions of faith. Uh, Incidentally, that's why we haven't instituted the practice of virtual communion as a church because um, it's something that we practice together and we do publicly. So sacraments are not private affairs. Um, and then the third is what makes a sacrament, what marks a sacrament is it's a visible sign, tangible sign, of a divine act. So it's an outward physical expression of an inward spiritual reality. That's what a sacrament is. Um, and they're realities that are central to the core of Christianity. And so with baptism, we're looking at the um, the, the pouring out of the, the blood, of being washed in the righteousness of Christ and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on his people. That's what we're you know remembering and, 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 and observing and, and symbolizing in, in the practice of, of baptism. And then in the Lord's Supper, we're remembering his body given for us, his blood shed for us to reconcile us and to make us right with God. So today's passage focuses on the Lord's Supper And to really understand what's happening in this passage, there's a a doctrine that we need to have in front of us that the Lord's Supper is really unpacking. And that doctrine is the doctrine that we call substitutionary atonement. So that's a big term. Um, I imagine many of you have heard this term before. Maybe some of you are like, that's that's a new one for me. Um, But this is kind of at the heart of what the Lord's Supper is telling us. As it's, telling, it's talking about the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. The Apostle Paul describes this in Romans 3, verses 25 and 26. He describes this, this doctrine this way. He says, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. So God gave us Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement that we receive through faith in his blood. And he goes on to say he did this to demonstrate his justice, God did, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, and he did this to demonstrate his justice so as to be just, and also the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So there's two key words there, substitutionary atonement, so I'll cover those. Substitute, christ acted as our substitute by living the life that we've all failed to live. We've all sinned, and so we're called to live lives of perfect righteousness, and none of us have. And so he's done that. He's, he's lived as our substitute that life, and he's also died the death that we deserve to die as lawbreakers because the wage of sin is death. So he's our substitute in his life and in his death. And then atonement tells us that Jesus didn't just reconcile us to God by convincing the Father to accept sin. He didn't go to his Father and say, take it easy on him. You know, they're, they're trying. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't conv- try to convince the Father to ignore or to accept sin. Instead, what he did is he paid He paid the price for it. There was an actual transaction that took place to pay the debt of our sin, demonstrating God's holy justice, to show that God is perfectly holy and the God who justifies. And so that's what this doctrine is. The doctrine of substitutionary atonement tells us that our salvation, our hope, is real. And it's real because something really happened to secure it. And that's what the heart of this is about, which leads really to the story of this passage. And so that's where I want to finish and spend the rest of our, our time is unpacking the story because I, I love the story of the upper room. So much happens there. So much happens. So It's Passover. Passover was upon Jesus and his disciples. This was the holiday, the, the holy feast that commemorated how God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, how God delivered his people from bondage. That's what this holy feast remembers and celebrates. And the gospel's tell us that during this meal Jesus had his disciples gathered in an upper room and while they were there celebrating the Passover Jesus reaches across the table and he picks up some bread and he gets his disciples attention and he says take and eat and then he said this is my body which was not what typically happened at a Passover meal he would say take and eat this bread reminds us that Our forefathers left in haste when they were enslaved in Egypt and God was leading them. No, he says, this is my body, which is for you. During this holiday that is about God delivering his people from tyranny and slavery. And then he does the same thing with the cup and he says, drink it all of you. This is the blood of my covenant poured out for many for the remission of sin. So what's happening here is he's, talking about the atoning power of his own blood. This is poured out for you, to reconcile you, to atone for you. And I imagine when the disciples were there in that upper room, they they sensed that Jesus was telling them something important. Um, but, you know, they, they didn't have a lot of a capacity to grasp because what Jesus had told them was going to happen was something they just, we just don't have categories for. And that is, he's going to suffer and be crucified and die. They have categories for that. And then on the third day, he's gonna rise from the grave. They don't have categories for that, which makes them wonder, is this a metaphor? How is he, how, what is he trying to say? But I imagine though that they sensed that there was purpose in what he was doing, but Jesus was the sole keeper of the full significance of what he was giving them then which we continue to practice today and will in just a moment. But I imagine even though they may not have felt the full weight of what he was saying, that he certainly did. He felt the weight of the world that was coming to rest on him because he knew what was coming for him and he knew what it would mean for them and he knew what it would mean for us. Jesus knew these friends. He knew these disciples that were gathered there as 12 disciples gathered in the upper room. He knew them. And he didn't come to them mainly to be their friend. He came to be their savior. He came to be their atoning sacrifice, and ours too. But when he has this meal with them there in the upper room, it's a pivotal moment in his ministry because it's, it's a meal where the time had come. The time had come for him to be arrested, for the process of his trial and his crucifixion to happen. It was all right on the precipice. And then Mark notes something. And what he notes is that last verse that we read in our text. And for me, I'm somebody, as I study Scripture, I, one of the things that I find in Scripture um, is, uh, our vernacular would be, I find Easter eggs. You know, little, little things in Scripture that you see and you think, huh, a lot is being conveyed, but you want, you might miss it if you don't stop and think, like, what are the implications of what's just been said? Because this is a principle of biblical text. One of the principles of biblical text is scripture is written in thrift. There's not a lot of rabbit trails. There's not a lot of elaboration, not a lot of adjectives and adverbs. It's pretty straightforward because, you know, I've said this a million times, but this wasn't the age of, of kinkos where you could go in and just there were reams of paper and all the ink that you could want, like paper and pen and ink. These, these, were, these were precious commodities. And so writing tended to be uh, without a lot of flourish. And so whenever there are details there, we're intent, the intent is for us to see the detail and to unpack it. Um, and it's a, it's a very faithful way of reading scripture is to try to understand what is this detail telling us. And some of the details, like the one I'm about to point out, has a lot of biblical context around it. We're not doing a lot of guessing with it. Um, But the detail is this. It's Mark 14, 26. It says... I'm just going to read it because I don't want to get it right. It says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Before they left the upper room, they sang. That thought... Allow me to unpack it because it blows my mind, especially if you are captaining a ship that is beginning to list and you're feeling like, I I think all might be lost. This is a detail that shows us the strength and the clarity of the mission of Jesus. Because knowing what his disciples were all about to do, they were about to scatter Some would deny knowing him. One would betray him. Knowing that he was about to be crucified, knowing that his earthly ministry was done still, he scooted back his bench or his chair or whatever it was that he was sitting on and he stood and he asked his friends to sing. Think about it. A lot happened in that room that night. The Gospels, when you look at all four of them, they they flesh out the picture really in detail, and a lot happened there. That was the night that he washed his disciples' feet. And Peter said, I should be washing your feet. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash you, you have no place with me. And then Peter turned on a dime and said, well, wash all of me then, you know. That's when Jesus did that. Somewhere in there in that night, Luke 22 tells us that the disciples were jockeying for positions at the table and they had this argument among them over which one of them was the best at following Jesus. And, and Jesus is hearing this even as he knows what, what's going to happen within hours of that, of that argument. We know about the sorrow That he felt. John 13 talks about the sorrow that was on him because one of his own disciples was about to betray him. And when he said this to them all, they said to him, Is it me? But then Judas left into the shadows, and Jesus dispatched him Go do what it is that you're going to do. And then Jesus broke bread and he poured the cup and he said it was his body and it was his blood that was going to be given for them. And then he prayed for them. John 17, the high priestly prayer where he prays for their unity. He prays that they would know the father as he knows the father and that they would be one with one another as he and the father are one. And it's this confession, this moment where he knows that there's this imminent change that's about to happen. And even for the disciples, everything they've experienced over the last three years or so of walking with Jesus is all about to be taken from them. And that's all what's about to happen. And Jesus knew. He knew that he couldn't stay in that upper room. He knew that they couldn't stay there forever. Judas had already left, and he set his betrayal in motion. And he knew that, he knew that the next move was to go to the Garden of Gethsemane to wait. But before they left, they sung a hymn. They wouldn't leave before joining in a hymn together. Imagine it. Jesus is the host of this meal, so he leads them. He leads them in the ceremony. It was him who led this Doxology. And historians and scholars tell us we know what they probably sang because there are Passover Psalms. And this was the end of the Passover meal, and the last of the Passover Psalms is Psalm 118. And so they probably most likely were singing Psalm 118. And I'm going to read the last verse of Psalm 118 in just a moment. But there's a refrain in that Psalm His steadfast love endures. So I want you to imagine Jesus rising to his feet and asking his friends to do the same. And imagine a singing Savior coming to these words as the last item on his agenda before heading to Gethsemane and ultimately to the cross. And Jesus singing these words. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind The festal sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The theme of Passover is God's provision of a lamb to die in the place of his people. And so the people sang, and Jesus sang, bind the festal sacrifice to the horns of the altar. You have a strong Savior. Just as Jesus is the Passover Lamb, Here he also plays the role of shepherd that night. And he never stops caring for his disciples. In this moment, with this table, he is preparing them for what's coming. And he sets a tone. Have you ever been so upset that you just didn't feel like praying or had such a rough week that you didn't feel like being a part of church or had some kind of a experience with a ministry or another believer and you just swore that you're just, I'm just not going to, I'm going to not do that anymore. Often Jesus teaches with his words, but here he's also teaching every single believer without saying a thing. Because the question to us is, Would you have felt like singing with all that's going on here? Because we often think, right, that our moods should determine whether or not to worship alongside other believers. As if struggle, broken relationships, bad experiences... Are not only valid reasons to withdraw from the body, but maybe even excuses Jesus would sympathize with and say, "Yeah, you've had a hard, you've had a hard time. Maybe you, you can you can skip out on all that." What James tells us in James four eight, he says, "This draw near to God, and He will draw near to you." And so I love that the example Jesus leaves us with here, in His greatest hour. Of trial is that he drew near to God and I love that given the circumstances he didn't declare that particular Passover a misfire and end by saying you know guys usually we would end this in a song but I, I'm not feeling it I'm too upset because when we might have turned inward Jesus turned Godward Why? Because God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And by his actions, Jesus shepherds us in this. See, Jesus knew. He knew those men. He knew their hearts. He knew what they needed, even if they didn't. And he knows what we need, too. He knows the evil that we intend in secret, like Judas he knows the arrogance we display to the world like James and John always wanting to be first. He knows our past failings, those things everybody else already knows too, like Matthew the tax collector. And he knows those that nobody knows about. And we all have those. He knows our future failings, those that we know are coming and those that we doubt very much we're capable of like Simon Peter when it came to denying Christ. When Jesus gave us this table he knew all of that. And so we have something to sing about today. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The festal sacrifice was bound to the horns of the altar and offered up so the judgment of God would pass over you as sure as it was passed on to the shoulders of Christ, our perfect atoning substitute. And so when you come to the Lord's table, you bear witness to that grace. We come because we we desperately need it. You may think I'm too far, too far gone for that. Listen, what is grace if you can nullify it by needing it? Jesus knows, He knows his people, and He knows us as His own. And this is what the Lord's Supper is about. His life for ours. And then ours being joined to him. And that makes the sacrifice to feast. And we have a seat at that table. Let me pray. Father. Father. You. When I read a passage like this, I see beauty, and I see poetry, and I see power in the unfolding drama of it, and what I see has got to be only a fraction of what you see and of what you intend, because we see through a glass darkly, but you see, and you know us, and you know us full well. Lord, thank you for the gift of the communion table where you call us not only to remember your life given for us as our atoning substitute, but you also call us to remember the way you started this with your disciples. And how in that room were people who were listing, people who were running aground, people who were in the process of Uh, bringing upon themselves catastrophe that they didn't even imagine they were capable of. I think of Simon Peter and yet you had your way and you worked through the lives of imperfect people and so Lord we thank you for that. We thank you that that is our hope and uh, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to commune with you around this table even still. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.